Hi, I'm Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 82 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. The number of impressions is like super integral to the success of an experience. It's actually for us the number of lasting impressions that really matter. Welcome to another in our profile of the Creative Entrepreneur Series. Today, my guest is Nasia Kamrat at Faculty. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business. Makers, breakers, whatever it takers. That's what you'll find on the new and freshly launched faculty website. Now, what is faculty? Well, faculty is a creative agency, studio, sort of a production company even, that's helmed by Nasia Kamrat. Uh, she's also uh, got a partner, Joshua Balgos, that is her co-founder at faculty. But Nasia and I sat down to talk about her creative firm. And namely, where does it live in the world? How did it get started? What were your reasons for launching the business? And then what's the makeup of the company today? What is faculty all about? What is its expertise out there in the industry? I'm a big fan of faculty's positioning, which is spatial storytelling. And I, I definitely dive into that topic with Nasia, asking, what is that exactly? What is it that you do for your clients? And how does spatial storytelling solve their problems. So I think you're going to enjoy this series as we continue this journey in what I call our profile of the creative entrepreneur series, where I love to sit down with various creative entrepreneurs, owners, partners, and talk to them about the business side of running their creative firm. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nasia Kamrat at Faculty. By the way, is Josh? He's not, is he in the office with you today? Or are you are you in I, still? Uh, no, I'm in Portland. He is actually in Hawaii right now uh, on a film shoot. So he is filming in Hawaii this week. So screw that guy. So wait, your your partner gets to go to Hawaii for a film shoot, and you get stuck doing a podcast with me? Yeah, that's actually what's happening right now. So <laughs> okay. I, I definitely I definitely got the short end of that stick for sure. <laughs> Well, please accept my apology then, because I should have reached out to him and invited him to do the podcast so you could have gone to Hawaii. Right. Well, you should have done the podcast with him while he was in Hawaii so he could be looking at all the amazing things and be stuck in the room. I think that would have been more more fun. That, well, that would be that would be more like cruel and unusual punishment for yes. to be stuck in yeah. a hotel room in Hawaii doing, doing a podcast. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. That's how I, that, that sounds great. <laughs> so it's been a busy year so far. Um, has it been fun uh, or has it just been nuts? Um, it's been both. It's been really fun. We have um, some really amazing projects that were started and we kicked off this year and some that are a continuation uh, from last year. So our team uh, has sort of been full on straight through. We didn't really have uh, that much of a break because we were just, you know, doing some really uh, some neat things. So um, it's been great. It's been very busy, but it's been really fun so far. Now, obviously, you and I got to work on some fun things together uh, last year in terms of what faculty is about and the positioning and some of the other efforts that are underway. But let me, let's, let's just get this out. 
how do you how do you actually describe faculty when people say what is what is faculty and what you guys do? So faculty is a woman-owned spatial storytelling studio that specializes in merging story, strategy, tech, and media to create bespoke experiences, IRL and URL. So it's funny, you've already made me curious because I'm like, wait, you just said IRL. I get URL, but what do you mean by IRL? So, you know, we create experiences in real life. Like that's what we do best. And then we create material that lives past those experiences to, uh, to, to expand what that experience could be. So, you know, we'll create a really cool living, breathing experience in a space. And then we, you know, help get that out into the world. And so are these, like, what, what are like typical clients for you? Are these spaces where customers are coming into retail spaces or are these shareholder meetings? Give, give, give me some it, sense of what you mean by that. Yeah, it runs the gamut. So we, um, we have, uh, experiences that we do. One of our biggest uh, brand partners is a cruise line. So we create experiences on board their ships where we mm. do these like really incredible shows, sort of where like a TED talk and a documentary and media kind of meet. We create these sort of really immersive programming for them. Uh, we also work with brands in like cool trade show activations. We do pop-up stores. We do permanent installations for corporate headquarters or retail, um, kind of anywhere where uh, a brand story needs to come to life and a brand needs to communicate effectively with an audience is kind of the space where we specialize. Well, I'm, I'm already curious because I'm thinking, wait, a cruise line that has an experience like that, it's like a TED talk and a immersive, like, where do I, <laughs> where do I sign up for that? That They're sounds like fun. Awesome. Uh, go to, you can go to HollandAmericaLine.com. Um, we uh, actually just, uh, so we're doing this thing that they call, that we're calling EXE Talk. So um, we did 10 last year. We did five in Alaska and five in um, the Caribbean. You know, some of them are, you know, in the Caribbean, we did, you know, the history of the Caribbean as told through a bottle of rum, which is super fun for all of us. Um, in Alaska, we have a talk where we feature uh, three women who are in sort of male dominated industries, like a captain of an icebreaker ship or a bush pilot or a fisherman, um, and really show how they exist in these sort of super male dominated worlds. Um, and they're done with a live presenter on a stage with like fully immersive uh, graphics and documentary storytelling. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that being a woman-owned business, that that obviously is a very particular flavor and brings something special to the mix. Would would you agree? Yeah, you know, I think as a woman-owned business in a very you know male-dominant industry ourselves, you know, when you're talking technology and you're talking media, um, I am often. Uh, one of the only women in the room, but I think that allows for a different level of conversation and a different level of dialogue with an audience because it's just a different perspective. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, and I'm curious, has it always been that way? Like how, when did, when did you start faculty and was it, did it, did it, was it always, always woman owned from the start? Was it basically you and then another partner? How, tell us that story. Yeah. Um, so we are um, actually just now celebrating our eight-year anniversary. Um, it just so happened that our company legally launched. Like, we actually got our IRS paperwork on Valentine's Day of 2012. It's very cute. Uh, it's very easy, easy to remember that date. Um, and actually, it started with myself, and I have a business partner, um, 
and we met at a, a small design firm, uh, you know, back in 2011. Um, and he and I decided that it would be really important to have a, you know, female-led business, particularly in this industry, because there were not that many, especially eight years ago. Um, so even from the beginning, um, I was a you know primary shareholder of the company uh, because we felt that it was really important to have that different voice in in this arena. And we're and what, did you start the business in in New York originally? Yeah, so we started the business in New York. Um, I am a New Yorker, born and bred. Um, I have recently moved out to the West Coast. Uh, I'm now in Portland, Oregon. We wanted to have a West Coast division of the company. So I moved out here about a year ago uh, to kind of get that up and running. And since then, we also opened a small office in Boston. And in uh, Q3 of this year, we'll be uh, opening up a, a small little pod in Miami. Mm, well, that's fun. Well, that, so now when you think about where you are today, right? This is so 29, sorry, 2020. See, well, I almost, yeah, almost right? missed, missed it there. So nine, almost will it be nine years on Valentine's Day or eight? Uh, it will be eight years uh, on okay. Valentine's Day, yeah. And so now when you think back to that Valentine's Day of, uh, of eight years ago, what was it that was driving you to make this completely crazy, insane, bold move called, I'm going to go start my own firm? Like what, what was behind that? Uh well, pure insanity, first of all. So, you know, <laughs> let's be real that anyone who does this has a little level of crazy, for sure. Um, but, you know, I spent a dozen or so years working for, like, really big agencies and design firms and production companies and felt there was this really interesting opportunity to create something that was more nimble and efficient. You know, sort of growing up in that big agency world in the aughts, you know, I saw firsthand how clients like content needs and brand needs were changing. And in turn, the agency model was shifting. So faculty was born out of that. We wanted to create a shop that allowed for our brand partners direct access to the thinkers and the makers, the people who were actually touching the work, because um, we felt that would give a better product in the end. And so I'm curious, because you, you remember you talked in the, when I asked you what faculty does, and you mentioned this thing called spatial storytelling, which of course I think is a super cool term that I'm not fully sure what that means. Was that part of like was that part of where you started, or was that an evolution? And what does that what does that mean? Like what is that offering that you guys do? Totally. Um, so the spatial storytelling was definitely an evolution. You know, when we first started the company, our expertise really lied in. Um, sort of like unusual media creation um, and unusual experiences and events. So we would do stuff for like digital at a home. So we do like all the like big giant screens in Times Square. Um, or we would do, um, you know, we did a very early on, we did like an activation on the MTA that was like an audio triggered digital at a home activation. Um, so we did these like kind of weird, very like, specific type of things that uh, were just very untraditional advertising. Um, and we slowly evolved. We're getting to ask to do more and more events and activations and permanent installations. And we realized that, you know, it wasn't just about cool tech or 
really glossy, well-designed media. It was really about like, what are you trying to tell your audience? What, what is the story you're trying to say and how to do it in a way that is like super authentic and real and human. Um, and then that kind of breeded this idea of spatial storytelling of, you know, being able to bring a story to life within a space that a person can actually touch and feel and breathe. And were there certain, I'm curious, like were there certain projects that you were doing along the way or just certain, maybe even back from your agency years, were there certain things you were saying, well, th this just isn't being solved in a, in a cool way, or this, this could be so much better. Like what, what was, or was there like an insight or a breakthrough that made you say, I think there's more out there. And so I'm going to launch my own firm, even though that's insane and try and offer this thing to clients directly. Was there anything like that, that, that led yeah. to this thing that we call spatial storytelling? Yeah, there were a couple things, you know, I think, you know, coming from my agency days, you know, you know, we would get these like big creative briefs and we'd be doing all this like really amazing work. And then we would call all these sort of small production companies and vendors who we actually like just pay to do the work. Mm -hmm. And that like that game of telephone, there was so much that got lost along the way from what the the overall strategy and thinking was to what the final execution was. So initially the thought was to really just bridge that gap and really give direct access um, allowing for, you know, the people who are building access to the people who need need the service. And what we also found was that a lot of times brands sort of kind of mix up or sort of combine the idea, the idea of like marketing and sales. Um, and where like the goals are just about numbers. They want to get all the numbers. They want, they want the data. They want the numbers. And although like we are total analytic geeks. We love data. Um, and the number of impressions is like super integral to the success of an experience. It's actually for us, the number of lasting impressions that really matter. And I think that's where sort of spatial storytelling came, where it's not just like getting people to a cool experience and getting people to a space. It's how do you get them and actually convert them to like, like loyal rabid fans, right? Who have a continuous dialogue with the brand. Yeah, it's so interesting because I'm, I'm chuckling because this ties into a conversation that I've been having with Tim Thompson, you know, my, my colleague here at RevThink. And it's this idea we call the value pyramid where young companies, they start out selling commodities. And then as they evolve, they start to merge commodities into services. But then they merge services into things called strategy and so on. And as they do that, they become more and more valuable because the, the, the problems they're solving are just more complicated and produce bigger outcomes and results. And in a way, what I heard you saying was when I was working at agencies, they were more playing this middleman role that we would go out and buy services or buy commodities and hire a production company to create this thing. But what got lost in translation was perhaps that human element you mentioned earlier or the story or the authenticity, because they're just, I don't know, maybe there's not time, maybe there's not money or maybe just because work is being passed up and down the food chain there's something lost there and it sounds like part of your goal has been no I want to bring that back yeah I mean I think you know in its essence advertising or kind of any any form of communications is all about sort of creating a relationship and a dialogue and I think if there are too many layers if there are 
is there's too much in the middle. Um, that dialogue just gets super, super muddy, I think. And what we have found is, you know, we work and, and we, we partner with a lot of agencies as well. Um, so it's not that we don't work with agencies. We, we have a lot of amazing agency partners that we work with. But what we have found is that working, at least being invited to the table and having a place at the sort of a seat at the table with the brand, it allows the, the actual work that's being done to really be targeted and on point um, and really be focused on what the need is and, and deliver on that. And, you know, it's bringing connectivity to, you know, a brand and their audience. And I think that's where we get really excited and the types of problems that we solve and the, like our special sauce, like the thing that makes us tick is like, how do you solve a big problem where you're trying to get people together and communicate? And when we can find ways to do that in a really cool way, that does all the cool things, like it has all the bells and whistles and the tech and all that stuff. But really in its essence, it's just a place where people can have a conversation. I think that's the stuff that gets us most excited. I'm curious because when I hear you talking about the way that say you, you work with uh, a brand or alongside an agency, as you know, that metrics and analytics, it's this, it can almost be very buzzwordy where these creative firms like faculty and, and everybody else out there, they want to talk about uh, numbers and the return on investment and analytics and metrics and so forth. And I've, I've been wondering lately if that's not, I mean, that's obviously very, very valuable. But I would also just say, isn't there something more that is perhaps not readily measured? Meaning, how do you measure subjectivity and emotion and loyalty, especially things like how this experience might impact consumers over a period of years when all you're measuring is what they did in the moment or that day or something? How do you have a meaningful dialogue with your clients to help them understand Yes, we're going to go after this measurable result. That's this very objective, tangible thing that we can we can measure with a ruler or with a, a number of likes or whatever. But we're also going to achieve this other thing over here that's much softer, but equally as meaningful and powerful. Yeah, it's a super hard conversation to have, right? So you know, and I think you have to do both because I think the ROI is necessary and important, and that real time information is what makes makes the decision worthwhile for a client or for a client's right they, they need to know that they met their numbers so I, I don't think that there's a world in which those analytics aren't integral to the success of of an experience the things that are not measurable the things that are that are more sort of visceral and a feeling um, those are the things that you can't measure in an audience you can't understand what they walk away with um, that's something that happens over time that becomes the thing, you know, that, you know, back in old, old advertising days, you had this idea, it's the idea of brand loyalty, where, you know, if you're going to pick up a thing of paper towels, you're always going to pick up the same paper towels because of whatever reason you have. And so how do you actually create that same level of loyalty in a sort of spatial environment? And I think that's the thing that is a differentiator between um, experiences that are just like, oh, that was a cool experience. I really liked doing X, Y, or Z to, oh my goodness, this brand understands who I am. They understand my needs. They understand why I do X, Y, or Z. And they are bringing me experiences that 
allow for me to explore those. And I think that conversation between brands and an audience that is not just in the moment, it's what happens afterwards, it's what's happened in six months, a year, five years from the point mm -hmm. of that experience is the thing that is really hard to measure. But what we have seen is that when we have really successful uh, experiences and we build really successful experiences for our brand partners, that it's like a, you know, it's like a, the slow walk up the mountain as opposed to here's your, you know, you know, 500 million likes. And right. I think, uh, you know, in the end, it does breed more sales and it does do more for the brand. It just doesn't happen in that, like, here's your analytics and here's the, here's the reporting on X, Y, or Z. Um, so we do that too, because I think that's important because I think, you know, you want to know what worked and what didn't, but we get really excited when in six months or a year, people are still talking about a thing that happened. And that's mm. when we get really, really excited. Well, I'm curious, do you even have maybe an anecdote that you wouldn't mind sharing? Uh, because when I hear experiences and brand partners and so forth, um, I'm trying to yeah. visualize what, what you're describing. Like when you talk about someone six months or a year after an experience, they're, they're still, I guess there's still an impression or a, or a loyalty that's been generated or something. Is there some sort of an example of you would say, yeah, here's something that we did and we were really pleased with the outcome. Totally. Um, so, so I'm going to go back to the EXE talks that I was talking about uh, earlier on. So we're doing these EXE talks. We're doing, you know, we did 10 last year. We're doing 45, 45 this year. Um, and we um, did one uh, for the Alaska season. Uh, which is called Ancestral Memories. And it really talked about Native Alaskans sort of reclaiming their language. And so, you know, we have an audience in the room watching this lecture. The next day, the guests have an opportunity to get off the ship and go to Juneau and explore. And so there's this really amazing story where uh, we were on the ship for another reason. You know, we were in the audience. We decided to go and watch one of the, one of the talks just because we hadn't seen it live in a while. And after the talk was done, this couple came up to us and said, Hey, you know, what is your guys involvement with the talks? Cause I think we were filming just to kind of get some, some content for ourselves. And we started talking to them about sort of what we did and, and our involvement and how we've been working with uh, our client um, to really sort of create these things and, and what an amazing experience it was. And um, the gentleman he was an older gentleman, had like tears in his eyes. And he said, I had no idea what this story was. And I watched this show and then I got off in Juneau and I went to the Salaska Heritage Museum and I learned as much as I possibly could about Native Alaskans because I didn't even <laughs> know they had a story to, to tell. And his wife was like, hit him and said, oh, stop crying. And she's like, yeah, and I put all this in <laughs> art. And, you know, and what, what, what it did for us was it allowed us to realize that we're not just providing like entertainment or enrichment or whatever you want to call it. Um, we're actually changing people's perspectives on the world around them in that moment. We're actually, you know, after they finish their vacation, when they get home to wherever they, wherever they live, they're going to talk to their friends about you know, their experience with like native Alaskans. And, and, and that's, that's immeasurable, right? The impact of that um, in the world is immeasurable. And I have no doubt that when they're going to pick their next vacation, they're going to go back 
on Holland America Line. And I think that's the thing that's intangible. Um, and that's the thing that comes from conversation after the fact, right? Like we would never have known that unless we happened to be in the room and had this lovely conversation with this couple. And I think that's the type of things that, you know, those are the type of anecdotes that we get that are just like, huh, this is super cool. <laughs> and it makes us, you know, feel like we're, we're doing a little bit more than just creating content or building an event or an experience or a show. Something very, very cool about that idea of shifting or influencing somebody's perspective. And I really like your choice of the word immeasurable because I thought, oh, that's quite a superlative. But then I thought, no, that's, that's actually a great word for it because how would you measure the impact of this person going back to their, their life and sharing those stories, influencing others around them, telling those stories about how their perspective was shifted. But clearly that's, that's a long game. That's not something that you just, you do an activation and we sold a thousand widgets or subscriptions or whatever. Yay. Rah, rah, rah. So that must take a lot of relationship building and trust and longevity in how you work with clients, which I'm guessing after eight years, you're starting to see those patterns emerge. Totally. And, and, and it really is about, you know, there, there are clients, but we really view all of our clients as our partners because, you know, in anything that we do, no one knows the brand as well as the people who live and breathe the brand every day. And so, you know, we're, we're invited to the table to have these really high level strategic conversations and to come up with solutions for them and help them along the way. Uh, but it really is a partnership. Like we, you know, when we're working with um, on these EXC talks with our, with our client, we're, we're, we're in the room together, building this together. And I think that's what makes magical things happen. It's not like, here's a creative brief and you're off and running. It's how do we build something remarkable together? Um, and it is about trust and about communication. And I think that that does take some time. Um, and it takes some time to build those relationships. Um, but once you do, it becomes like, you kind of, we kind of have like a shorthand. Uh, where we know what the needs are, we know what the goals are, and we're able to help them get there, and they're able to help us succeed, which I think is a really interesting an interesting relationship to have. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of fun, honestly. You know, from my years of running my creative agency and, and hearing the stories that you're telling, there's just something very satisfying when you're working with people that you respect and admire, and there's a lot of trust between the two of you, and you're taking risks together and attempting things that are maybe a little scary. And then when you come through and you find success, it's incredibly satisfying to know, Hey, you know, we did this and we did this together. I mean, that must be a lot of fun for you. It is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think it's, you know, and it, it, you know, there's challenges of course along the way, but I think that it kind of allows you to wake up every morning and be like, huh, I'm doing some really cool stuff today. Um, and I think that that makes it, that makes it a lot easier uh, when you're having those like crazy, crazy nights or long days. Right. Um, you know, we do a lot of like crazy installs. So whenever we're like on a big install and we're like, Ooh, this is a lot. We're like, but you know, we could, we could be doing like a lot worse things right now than, than installing this experience. <laughs> so I think that that allows for, um, you know, it allows the work that we do kind of to live a little bit past just the work, which I think makes everyone feel really good about what they're doing every day. Well, and, and I mean, as we hear, as we talk about here on 
on this podcast, right? There's, there's, there's the side that the world sees and that your clients see, and that is fraught with a lot of challenges, obviously a lot of fun as well. And then there's this other side that few people ever see, and that is you're running a business too, right? And it's never easy. It's never simple. And that kind of leads me to this, this question that I forgot to ask earlier. What's the makeup of the team? Like what sort of people are on your team and behind the scenes? Are they more creatives? Are they writers? Are they strategists? Are they makers, doers, thinkers? What, what, what is, what does the team look like that makes all these special storytelling experiences? Totally. So, you know, our core team is comprised of strategists and storytellers, designers, technologists, producers, and makers, I would say. Um, And so, but like ultimately our goal is to give our brand partners like a senior team of knowledge brokers and problem solvers. Um, So we, we're, we're we're there to kind of help solve their larger problems. Um, And there's a lot of stuff that we don't do. Um, and for that, we have this like really amazing wide network of specialists, um, like companies just like ours who have similar ethos that we can collaborate with to create these sort of bespoke experiences. So, you know, we don't do any of the fabrication in-house, but we have incredible fabricators all over the world who we call upon um, to, you know, build some of these experiences with us. So we try to get the right team for the right project and so our place at the table is to you know help come up with the solutions and the thinking and the sort of design and then you know we have writers and makers to kind of help build out the experience and then we bring in really cool people to kind of help it come to life sometimes yeah which makes me wonder how how do you how do you decide or filter like when an opportunity comes to you and let's say it has a a huge fabrication piece to it. I can imagine there's a conversation that's happened from time to time called, Oh, we should just hire and build a team of fabricators internally. And we should go build a a shop that has all of the tools and all that, because now this could be part of what we do. But for some reason or another, you've said, no, we're going to stick to this focus or this expertise. What does it, what does it look like to make, that decision. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're running a company, you all, you know what you know, right. And I don't know about fabrication. I know what the ultimate look and feel and goal is, right. I know how to design, we know how to design something that is amazing. Uh, But the building of the thing, there are people who do this as a trade and who are really good. And, you know, I also, I also feel like there is this world in which sort of small, companies like ours teaming together to create a solution allows for this like really incredible product where specialists do what they do best uh, and incredible transparency with our clients. So they know they're getting the best and the brightest and the people who are building the thing are the people who are building the thing because they're the best ones for the job as opposed to the sort of like waterfall of like subcontractors and subcontractors and subcontractors or you know bringing everything in house where then I'd have to manage someone who's a fabricator and then I would I don't that would that's not within my wheelhouse you know in the world of actual building that so you know we want people to shine at what they do best and you know building out an entire piece of the business that 
is not something that myself or my partner or our executive team is specialist at. It seems like um, a decision that, you know, would ultimately be um, one that would, you know, make the work just like not as awesome. And really the best mm -hmm. thing for us is to create really cool work and bring in the people who are best at that. Um, and again, even with fabricators, you know, we can build them out in New York, but we wouldn't hire a New York company to, you know, build something out in Europe. So we would find, you know, we'd want to find something local there because you'll get the best work and you'll be less issues along the way. So it's also about making sure that we are doing the smart thing for our clients. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, you know, being laser focused at who we are and what we do best and building relationships with um, like-minded folks who can do uh, what they do best and bring that to the table. Well, I mean, I've obviously been somewhat on the inside of, of some of that because of our, you know, relationship between faculty and RevThink. But so I know a little, some of those stories, but I think what's, what I hear that's really cool is that you have a respect for that's their business, right? Like if I bring in these fabricators, that's their specialty. And yes, there's often as an owner, that decision called, well, I could bring it quote in-house and make it make a few more dollars. But there's also something to be said for that's just not our business. And I'm confident and comfortable in sticking with what we know we know how to do and we know how to run that business and we know how to create incredible value. And we're going to bring in a true expert to execute at a very high level because we're not in the business of cutting corners or kind of faking it or phoning it in, what have you, because we want at the end of the day, every component of this solution that we're curating it and that we're determined to create the best possible outcome possible even though perhaps we could have made a few more dollars if we executed it at a different, in a different way. And I, I think that just, it requires a certain level of, I think, confidence knowing that you're great at what you do and there's going to always be more opportunities if you continue to focus on that. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's interesting because, you know, we, we create things that are bespoke. So every experience has different needs. And so um, I think that also allows for us to really, do what's best for the creative. And I think that's something that sometimes get lost when dollars and cents come into the picture where it's about making money or any of that. And not that that's not important as a business owner, but I think the thing that continues to bring us more work is creating really good work. And so if we can do that in a way that does utilize people who are just really good at that thing that they do, we're not only creating like, the best possible product, but we're also, you know, building other companies up. And what we have found is that relationship between us and some of the other companies that we work with, it's entirely reciprocal. So we bring people in projects, they bring us in, and it's a kind of created this like really incredible community of small, nimble agencies that can collaborate together in a really amazing way. And that, I think, is kind of the direction of what the new agency model is. You know, you know, everyone's talking about what's happening with the agency world. And, you know, for, for me, it's, you know, specialists teaming up, killing it on a project, and then 
finding the next one whenever that comes in. And I think that breeds something really special. Yeah, I think there's what I'm hearing is there's this balance between, well, we have if, if, if you're a small creative firm and all of your talent is internal, then you're going to lack a certain maybe depth of expertise because you kind of have to have generalists. On the other hand, on the other end of the spectrum, there are creative firms where you just have a, a principal or two and everyone else is freelance. And that's where the clients probably feel like, well, I could just go hire these freelancers myself. Why, why do I need you? There's not really a core competency internally other than this one per, you know, the partner or the owner or something. And so it's that striking that, that balance. But I do think it's, it's really curious to think how you're right, how agencies like yours and others can come together in a way that creates this really cool community. And it makes me wonder, is this partly why there are so few firms that are 50 or a hundred people that do these kinds of specialist things? Because it's like the, the economy is just not currently wired for that type of solution. It takes this agility. It takes this specialization. It takes a certain level of expertise. And when you need multiples, you bring several companies together like you do when you partner with other, other specialists. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because you have these sort of mass, the, the big, the big agencies, the, the massive ones, right? The ones that say they do everything and they're buying up all the little shops and they're buying up all the 50 to hundred person shops. Right. Um, and they're sort of gobbling them up. And then there is a lot of firms like ours that are like, you know, 25 and under, right. That allows for that sort of like, agility and ability to pivot. And so, you know, what I have, what I found in a lot of conversations with clients of late is that the agency model, the AOR, uh, that whole world is changing right now. Um, and it's been changing for a while and that there is a real interest in, you know, having teams that work really well together that have partnered in the past that know how to communicate and know how to build something together um, giving them the ability to really do what they do best and let them shine to sort of bring things to life. And I think that's just a different shift in the direction that agencies may be going in. Um, and so coming from the sort of big agency world, you know, I kind of like even like 10 years ago when I, when I left the ad agency, I had been at for quite a while, I kind of was like, I don't think this is going to work for that much longer. And so really, you know, I think that when you are, are building something, um, you know, you, you, you want it to be, you know, there's, there's so much, there's so much noise out there. And so whatever you can do to, to differentiate. Um, and I think the best way to do that is to allow for the best of the best to, to, to put their brains together to create something awesome. Um, and you can't do that when you have a hundred people that you need to make payroll on. You certainly can't do it very quickly. That's for sure. No. And you know, you also, things uh, get lost because you have to pay for your big fancy offices and your big fancy salaries. And you know, it, it, the decisions become monetary decisions and not creative decisions in a lot of times. Well, it sounds like you're, in a, in a fun spot and on a, on a, on just on a good run. Like I know last year things were quite busy and I think it's safe to say this new year is off to a bang. What, what can we, what can we expect in, uh, 
in the in the months ahead from faculty? You know, it's I, I'm excited to see what 2020 has to bring because I think when you start something, it kind of takes a minute um, and a lot of learning along the way of what works and what doesn't. And even in the eight years that we've been in business, there's been numerous iterations of what faculty has been. And I think for the first time, we're kind of in the pocket. We kind of know where we want to go and how we want to get there. And I think that's a really exciting thing as a business owner to have. And it, it definitely took us a minute to, to figure that out and, and, and to know how we want to grow and the type of work that we do best. Um, and so I think for us, this year has been one where we're able to sort of be confident in those decisions and confident in um, the direction we want to take the company and really owning the thing that we bring to the table. And um, that's kind of an exciting moment where we're actually able to explore and be free to, to take on interesting work and partner with interesting people uh, because we, we kind of we have our footing in a, in a really in a really great way. I love that word confidence that you just said in there, because I think I'm somewhat chuckling because I'm thinking of when a small firm launches, there's this conventional wisdom that says, oh, if you can be in business for, I think it's two years, right? You have good, you have a good chance of getting over the hump and, and actually being a going concern. And so people tend to think, well, it takes two years or maybe a little more to kind of figure out your business model and what you do. And then, of course, I'm laughing because it takes way longer than that to actually really, as you say, figure things out and find your find your groove and get clear about what you love the most and where you create value and what the needs in the marketplace, where all those things uh, intersect. So it only took you eight years. So it only took uh, eight years. And it's and it's an evolution. And I think that's the coolest thing about being a small creative firm is that the world is constantly evolving. The needs are constantly evolving. Um, and if you are scrappy and small and nimble, um, you can pivot. And I think that's something that we have found is that, you know, we have no idea where we're going uh, because anything is possible. And I think that's the thing that's the most exciting is that we don't, um, there's, no, there's no prescriptive, this is what you do next. And I think that's the nature of running a small shop is allowing for, uh, you know, interesting things to happen and, and knowing how to react to them in a really cool way. Yeah, I would, I would hazard a guess that if you had launched faculty eight years ago with the, the vision and the clarity that you have right now, the market may not have been ready for spatial storytelling and, and all that goes with that. So it's, it's like it's been an evolution getting to this point and the world wasn't ready. Maybe the clients weren't ready, but now they are. And now you're ready and you've evolved, you've adapted. So it is maybe it's an encouragement to anyone else out there who's running their firm and saying, gosh, I thought after two years I would be in a good groove. It just, it takes time and it takes a lot of uh, intention and you have to be listening and learning and growing every day. Yeah. And I really do believe that the minute you stop learning and growing, that's when, when agencies die. Right. And so I think, you know, and I think that's something that took me a long time to learn as well, right? You know, when you start a company, I was in my was in my early 30s when I started the business. I had a lot of, you have a lot of ego. <laughs> You're like, I can do this better. Um, and it doesn't, it takes some time to realize that you are constantly evolving. You're constantly learning. You're constantly growing as a person, as a, you know, business owner, um, as, as a human. And I think that 
taking all that learning and kind of creating something that sort of feeds through the organization is kind of where the kind of magic happens. Well, I'm sure, thankfully, you are willing to put yourself under the interrogation <laughs> hot, you know, spotlight and, and share your story and the story of faculty. It's, it's definitely exciting to see all that you've accomplished so far, but I think in terms of where you're going and what this year is shaping up to be, um, it's going to be really exciting to watch how it all unfolds. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I'm, and I'm excited to see, uh, you know, and obviously I'm excited to see where we go. And, and also it's been great having RevThink as a partner along the way, because, you know, it allows us to, and that relationship also allows us to be a specialist and do what we do best. So that's been fun too. Oh yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com. 